Welcome, everyone. This is the Bread of Life, and I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I'm the director of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. We have full-time missionaries stationed in North America and South America, Europe, and Asia, and we have ministry representatives carrying forward our commitment to equip and engage the body of Christ in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting in a number of countries around the globe. To learn more about our work and inquire how you may help us raise up disciple-making disciples, go to traincpe.org. I'm also the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Our great pursuit in God's Word is to always find the road that leads us to Jesus Christ, that exalts His gospel and finds in Him our complete sufficiency. You can learn more about our fellowship by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Human beings have tirelessly pursued by their efforts a righteousness before God, yet they have never achieved it. The Christian message is to let all know that this aspiration to be righteous is right and good, but the road that all men have taken is wrong and will fail them. In a dramatic moment in history, God brought down to us what we could never raise ourselves up to. God brought down to us righteousness and opened it up to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that moment came, our moment of righteousness can come as well when we trust in Him alone to make us right with God. Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Have you ever had a conversation? I know this has happened. You had a conversation with somebody, and then as you've walked away from the conversation, or as you've driven away from the conversation, or whatever it is, then you start thinking of all the things you should have said. You know, it's a conversation in which there was some disputation that was taking place, some disagreement, or at least they weren't seeing clearly what it was you were trying to communicate, and they were coming up with other ideas than you were trying to project to them. And then as you're moving away or driving away, you think of all the things you could, I should have said this, and I should have said that, and... And then the other thing you do in reviewing it is you, you begin to think about what they said. And you begin to think, well, maybe they had a good point there or a good point there, or maybe they had a misperception. And it's gathering together their conversation of what they said and what you said. And you almost, as a result, form a brand new conversation that you wish you could have with them. But you don't even know how to start it again, how to go back to that point in time. And those are not bad exercises. They're usually exercises where you're, I hope, learning to listen to the other person better but you're also learning how to phrase something better or you're coming to an understanding or an idea better and you're crystallizing your own thoughts. Different people think in different ways. I think verbally. And so when I'm working on something, I hear the argument in my head, but oftentimes I can't flesh out the argument unless I have the sounding board to talk to. And so very often when I'm trying to figure out an idea, I bring, call my mother or I call my wife or I have a conversation. Uh, once a week, I meet with different young men, individuals in our organization. I meet with my son on one day a week, and I usually meet with Ignacio on another day a week. And, you know, we're usually there to talk about the ministries that we're doing in different places around the world. But most of the time we talk about the ideas we're getting and the thoughts we're having as we're studying God's Word and we're teaching other individuals. And it's in the process of that dialogue that we, we kind of shape our thinking and it, it gets solidified and it gets challenged. And, well, that's a good thing. It's a good process to go through. Paul, in this case, in what he's writing here, He's not looking back on past conversations, although he's drawing from them, 
but he's actually looking ahead. Maybe you've had these kinds of conversations too where you're anticipating meeting somebody and you're anticipating what they're going to say and in your mind you're running through how it is you're going to have that dialogue and that's what Paul is doing in the first part of Romans here. It's actually in the Greek form that's called diatribe which basically is this dialogue, an imagined dialogue that's taking place. In the letter that Paul is writing, he's imagining that he's trying to bring the wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to individuals who are stuck and steeped in their paganism and their idolatry. And he's got a message for them to kind of refute and put aside their idolatry. But then he confronts individuals who are aloof from the idea of being idolaters. Instead, they're very moral people. And they've kind of anchored themselves in their own morality and they think they're just good people. And Paul begins to dissect and tear apart this moral mindset they have that that's enough. And then he confronts the Jew who is actually confident in his religion and is in his status as the people of God, as a member of the tribe or of the nation of Israel. And they're anchoring their confidence and their standing before God and their state in the world because of their religion and their national position. Paul begins to tear that all apart. Basically, with all three groups, he brings them down to the point at which they realize that they're not righteous in any way that they're building on a foundation that's rotted. It's the foundation of what they are at the core of their being, which is broken, fallen, sinful people who cannot in and of themselves produce a righteousness that satisfies God, that answers the righteous claims of God against them. It doesn't overcome their sin, and it doesn't bring them in any way, in a possible way, they can present themselves to God. And if you follow these individuals, you kind of have a story of human life as it is. You know, individuals who have just given themselves to their idols and their self-worship and it's debased them and they feel that in their case, once they realize that they're so corrupt they can never be restored to God and Paul has a message for them. And then you have other individuals like, well, I'm better than that. I'm a moral person. I'm better than that guy and I'm better than that guy and I'm certainly better than my neighbor that lives behind me and, you know, he's approving himself. Well, that kind of moralistic confidence has to be torn away as well. And then other people who have just discovered the right religion and the right things to do and they believe all the right things and they genuflect in all the right ways. They have a way of putting on the sanctimony of their faith and it secures them and Paul rips that all away as well. You got nothing. You cannot come before the presence of a holy and righteous God in these ways. You're lost and you're separated from Him and Paul leaves them off in Romans chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 is all of them guilty before God. All of them guilty before God. And all through that, Paul punctuates it by saying, this guilt brings upon you condemnation, which brings upon you God's wrath. You have no way out. And then when they finally come to the point where they realize they have no way out, Paul interrupts all of this by telling them that there is a way that God provides. After Paul basically tells them that all of their efforts and all of their failures and all of those things that have accumulated just demonstrate that there's no righteousness they can produce on their own and all of the presentations of righteousness that they try to present are things that God scoffs at, will never ever fulfill them and bring them into the presence of holy God. Once he brings them to the end of themselves, then he says, now, now, let me give you some light. Let me give you some good news. There's a righteousness that is enduring, that's been accomplished for you, that God brings to you and it comes to you and it's to be received by faith and he brings it to you through Jesus Christ. This is what we've been talking about in verses 21 through 23 of Romans chapter 3. I want to make two more observations about these verses that we've been looking at before we press on. I want us to think again of that word now. What we said was here was individuals who were in this kind of long slog of just trying to measure up, trying to be righteous 
only to know that they couldn't quite get there and they failed. And even a person was just so confident that he had made it and that he was a good person, that confidence was shattered the minute he came into the presence of a righteous and holy person. The Pharisees thought they had made it. They had accomplished a righteousness and it was a righteousness that was shattered in the presence of Jesus Christ. He ruined the curve for them and they hated him for it. They had developed such a well-groomed facade. Everybody believed they were righteous and they began to believe it themselves. They could stand in the front of the temple and say, Oh God, I thank you. I'm not like this publican because I do this and this and this. And Lord Jesus shows up and comes along and he's exuding and manifesting that perfect sinless righteousness and all of the old insecurities began to come back in them and it tore them apart and instead of accepting it and coming before God and receiving the righteousness God had for them, they sought to destroy the messenger, Jesus, who revealed that to them. It wasn't going to work. That's life. It's this long slog trying to be good enough and trying to be righteous enough and We'll never get there. In fact, it's futile. It's never going to work for us. And God comes to us in the middle of that and says, now listen, instead of this past progression where you're just trying to be righteous and then maybe hoping that somewhere in the future, maybe out into heaven somewhere, or maybe through purgatory, you can work it out. And so you've even planned out some way for you to finally come to a point of righteousness somewhere in the far off distant future. God has a now for you right now. God can bring you into a complete righteousness. That's a historical moment for the individual. The moment when I recognize my sin and I recognize my failures and I recognize there's nothing in myself that I can commend to God, and, but that God would give me through Jesus Christ all of his righteousness and I can believe and trust in him. And in that moment, all those efforts are brought to an end and I can step into the righteousness and the fullness of Jesus Christ. We said it before, it's like an eternal now where I'm in a state, an endless state of the fullness of all the righteousness of God laid upon me. It's a wonderful historical moment that comes upon us in our lives. But I do want to say here that when Paul says now, he's referring not only to that opportunity, but he's also referring to a contemporary event. Paul is writing at a time in which the news is being heard for the very first time of the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and that Christ has come and lived on the earth the sinless life, and he's died, and that the Messiah has come, and he's suffered for you, and he's bringing news within the frame of the historical moment, and so when he says, now a righteousness has been made known or revealed, he's also referring to that great and wonderful historical moment, when Jesus came and died, and for those that he's speaking to, now we think about it, it's 2,000 years ago, but for those he's he spoke to and he's declaring it to for the first time. It's like contemporary news. It's like here, it's in the papers right here for you to see now. This is taking place. And there's something that's important about this. Paul is not appealing to some new philosophy in life. Paul is not offering them a new standard of moral conduct they can be involved in. He's not appealing to just a new mindset they can have for themselves. He's appealing to a fact, a moment in history in which God through Jesus Christ has secured for them a way of righteousness they cannot secure for themselves. The Christian faith is not just a bunch of sublime ideas. It's not just the idea that you can't even be forgiven. It's not the idea that God is love and he just will forgive you and you can go on and have a good life and you just have to think positive thoughts. The Christian message is a message of a fact that took place historical moment in time 
which God sent forth his son, who was born under the law and yet lived a sinless life, and then went to the cross and died on the cross in our place for our sins, and then to demonstrate that the payment he made for us was sufficient and satisfied the claims of God, he rose again from the dead, alive and righteous, and he extends to us that salvation when we put our faith in him. It's anchored in that historical moment, and because of that now, because of that now, we might each step into it ourselves now and have a righteousness that comes from him alone. That's very important. We're not just a philosophy. We're not just a bunch of good ideas. This is not a truth that makes itself into Reader's Digest quotable quotes and somehow soothes us. It's not what it is. It's anchored in something historical, a true moment in time that God has brought to us. The other thing that we see in this passage was, not only is this a historical moment, but what Paul says is, this is a moment that God was directing people to all along. That God was revealing that he was coming to this moment and he was going to provide this means of salvation and righteousness. God was always directing people into this provision from the very moment at which man fell into sin. So Paul says that this is a righteousness that comes to us apart from the law, which basically simply means it's apart from us keeping the law. It's not based on us being good and following a bunch of rules. It's a righteousness that God has provided because Jesus has kept the law perfectly and gives to us the merit of all his righteousness. But then Paul goes on, to, although it is apart from the law, it's apart from our keeping the law, he says that it is a righteousness that God was giving witness to by the law and the prophets. That is, basically he's saying that God was throughout the Old Testament pointing the way of righteousness that he was going to provide for people. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.